Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you are listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the bastards of Boston baseball. You can find us on Twitter or X at bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. You can find me on Twitter or X at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, how are you doing? Where can the fans find you on Twitter slash X? Charlie, I'm doing all right. Obviously, we got some some sad news today. Uh, on top of the sad news that the baseball season is officially over, but we have an exciting offseason ahead of us. Hopefully, you know, some changes to be made to the team. Um, excited to always talk shop with you boys here on the pod. The fans can find me on Twitter slash X at the Cody Paulson. Let's have some hot stove discussions. Let's get in the mix. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. Thank you, Cody. Like you, I share that same sentiment. Kind of a low day. Low week as it will be. Terry, how are you doing? Where can the fans find you on Twitter or X? I am doing well, and uh, I can be found at Cushman MLB, causing all my mischief like I do. I'm the problem child on the account, on the crew, I mean. Um, so, Acceptance is the first step, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this has been... Um, Quite a ferocious year, 162 games up, 162 games down. The Boston Red Sox finish with an identical record to 2022, 78 wins, 84 losses. This can be a little bit of a different episode. Now that the high and bloom era is officially over in Boston, we have this question for, for us three this evening. Which of the two eras was more difficult? Was it that of High and Bloom that just ended, or the prior regime, that of Ben Sherrington? Terry, I'm going to let you go first. Cody, we'll have you go second, and then I'll wrap it. T, lead us off. So, I mean, obviously for me, the Bloom era was more painful. Um, the off seasons were a lot more frustrating. Ben Sherrington sort of does have the unfair advantage of, you know, his one good season was a world series championship season. Um, Bloom got close, you know, he got within two games of the world series. That was what 2021. I'm boldly going to say the, the Braves still beat us, but, uh, if, if we had advanced past the Astros, but, for me, I don't really remember, other than 2015, hating a Ben Sherrington roster. And I hated uh, 2015. We'll, I'll get to that in a second. But other than that, I mean, people might be quick to point out 2012, you know, the benefit of hindsight, because that was a last place season. And it was basically the first uh, last place season we had had in quite some time trying to get those up, but you still had, uh, John Lester in there. Um, we were hoping to get, um, you know, a full season out of, out of dice K didn't obviously happen, but, um, I, I just don't remember going in there. Oh, we had, we had Josh Beckett to start the year. So you had Beckett and Lester. 
Um, you had Valentine, and that was obviously a train wreck, but it was still a, a fairly decent roster. And Felix Dubrant, you know, showed a little bit of, of um, you know, promise. And um, the the one thing that went up in flames so <laughs> as quickly as it started was obviously Daniel Bard, because that was the season they uh, infamously messed with him and took him out of the bullpen. But 2013, I mean, we were talking about that in the pre-show. Um and Cody, you were highlighting, you know, most of those moves weren't overwhelming. You know, Shane Victorino looked like his career was kind of starting to slow down. Mike Napoli was a good, you know, a, a solid addition, but certainly not a guy that was going to be, you know, put the team on his shoulders. He had Johnny Gomes, uh, who ended up being, I mean, the Gomes Nava platoon was one of my favorites of all time in the outfield. I love that. Um, and then Uihara emerged later on, but going into that season, I had the Red Sox winning the division. Like I spoke optimistically that we, we will win the division. Did I think in my wildest dreams, we were going to win a world series or even go to it? No, absolutely not. Detroit looked like this freight train that just wasn't going to be stopped. You know, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez of all those three led the the American League in earned run average. I mean that team was a wagon, and then they had Miguel Cabrera at the, his absolute peak. You had Prince Fielder, uh, Victor Martinez was an extremely solid player. You know at that point for the uh, Tigers. So I just I didn't think we we're going to beat them, but. I wasn't overly pessimistic. I, I thought the roster was okay, and I thought it could be potentially a fun season. And then 2014, it was the same roster. Same roster all over again. The only difference was you didn't have Ellsbury. That was the JBJ year. He was hitting home runs off Cliff Lee in spring training. We're thinking, oh, my God, this guy's going to be amazing. And it was terrible. He went back and forth. Uh, back then, it was to Pawtucket and back. Um, a few different stints. And then I, I legitimately hated 2015. And that was my first year on Twitter. And I was immediately like, we need to get rid of Sherrington. And uh, I wanted Farrell gone too, but he got cancer that year. And, you know, PR is a thing. And firing people that have, you know, a scary disease isn't the best thing. But Farrell was the worst manager of my lifetime. But... Having said that, I, I think even though there were three last place finishes there, it, it was a more fun era to be a part of. We always had decent pitching, uh, at least on paper, and um, lots of frustration with uh, the Bloom era. And I kept thinking that every year of the Bloom era, as we went along, was going to get better and better and better, and it just it never did, you know? So I'm going to... I'm going to give it to Bloom as far as which one was more painful. Uh, thank you, Charlie. Um, for me, I, I got to say the the Charrington area was more painful. Um, I think largely, too, if you think about it, it's the way that the team is being perceived and the way that we follow it, right? Back in the day, you had your ESPN clippings, you had your your newspaper articles, or you had your your 30-second minute long hits on 
on TV. And that's pretty much all the access you got to the game, right? You know, you were told, Hey, we got this great player coming up uh, from Tampa Bay, Carl Crawford, the dude steals 90 bases against us every year. He's going to make a difference, you know, and, and there's a lot of parallels to the Charrington era as there are to, to the Guam era, right? A team that is storied success, won a world series recently coming off a terrible year, needing to retool, needing to get under luxury taxes, yada, yada, have to make a big unpopular trade, right? We all remember the, the Beckett Gonzalez, Crawford trade to the Dodgers, much like we have the Mookie Vets trade for for Bloom. Um, but for me, like Charrington went out and he spent money like we remember, right? Like like the Red Sox should, you know, would, would go out and throw the bag at Hanley and throw the bag at perhaps the worst contract in in Red Sox history and Pablo Sandoval. So like every year there was all this optimism. We're like, oh yeah, like we're making moves. We're going to go get this free agent. We're going to go do this. We're going to be this great team again. And then we would seemingly fall on our face, right? You know, um, we had lightning in a bottle in 2013. You know, there was a, a rallying cry that I, I think is going to be probably one of the more special World Series victories across baseball, not just Boston. Um, you know, thoughts and condolences still to those that are that are affected from from the Boston Marathon. Um, but you know, going into 2013, you look at that offseason, right? It's it's Dempster, it's Gomes, it's Ross, and then you know, as we mentioned, Uihara, Napoli, and uh, Victorino, you recognize Napoli and Victorino. You you're looking at Gomes like, is that that guy that hit that home run, or is that that guy that had that you know electric throw? But you you weren't really sure. Like those were kind of a list of names of of players that didn't necessarily move the needle, and then turn out to be the guys that were absolutely clutch down the stretch that we couldn't you know win the World Series out of. But for me, Charrington built up these great off seasons, allowed us to believe and get hope that this was going to be the year that we were going to be back to contending back in the first place. And, you know, you guys have long lamented. Heimblum doesn't know how to build a starting rotation. Heimblum doesn't know how to spend money. We are either over the luxury tax or we're indecisive and we're not making moves. There wasn't a single player that we really brought in in Heimblum's era that we're like, OK, now we go. Right. Like this is a team that we got. We got all the guys that we needed in this locker room. We're ready to fight. We're ready to contend. We're ready to win a World Series. You know, obviously 2021, again, we caught lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, you guys said that kind of set us back because it allowed us to believe that, you know, Bloom's model was working or it allowed Bloom to believe that his model was working. And, you know, players were performing over their head, sure. Um, but with the Bloom era, you know, Charlie, you mentioned that we had the same record as last year, uh, as this year. And, you know, they mentioned that on on the radio today. If you had asked me that question without telling me the records, I would have said no chance in, in hell that we had the same record. This year felt so different to last year. And the fact that we ended up with the same amount of wins and losses to me is is shocking. Um, and I, you know, as bad as this year has been, there's no, no Bloom defender here that is going to say that this year was a good year. Even you guys who are staunch, you know, I don't want to say anti-Bloom guys, you have to admit that this year felt a whole lot different and a whole lot better than last year felt objectively i don't really agree with that because in 2022 we led the division for a little while i think if i'm not mistaken up until early july and then we started getting injured and then um waka evaldi went on the injured list um we were above 500 at the trade deadline in 2022 i think we were two or three games out but um but I mean, this year we were under 500 early a, a couple of times. I think we went under it a few different times. And then finally, in the end, we stayed under it. But um, 
I just, I thought we had a better chance in, in 2022 to, to get there. I only remember like uh, um, about six weeks of bad baseball in 2022. This year it was a roller coaster. My, my lasting memory of 2022 was if our starting rotation gave up three runs, we were, we lost a game, right? If we got down three zero, the bullpen isn't going to hold the lead and our offense isn't going to be able to get back into it. And the game is over, whether that be in the first inning or in the seventh inning, whenever it was. And to me, that was insufferable. Um, but all that to say, right, the way that we follow baseball now, the way that we consume the sport, I think is so different that it allows us in a way to almost microdose the pain or in a way have a constant sense of agitation, right? So for you, that might be more painful now, right? Because you're in it every day, you're in the mix, you're wearing it, you, you have to shoulder it and that's terrible. But for me, it was so much worse to have your hopes be built up to say like, hey, this is a team where the Red Sox, we got a top three, uh, roster a top three payroll like we're supposed to be contending for for a world series and then you fall f on your face year after year after year to me that was way worse whereas like you know we have <laughs> talked about it to, to a great extent none of the rosters in bloom's era were necessarily world series contenders right we were saying hey you know where is this we're missing that we don't have this and to me that makes it less painful because then you know kind of what you're getting into but that's just one person's opinion. So I'm going to do a little bit of Terry and a little bit of Cody in my, in my, my rant here. So you can call us anti bloom guys. I'm not offended. In fact, you're not wrong. I'm anti bloom. I don't. Uh, it, right, okay. Right. Terry, it's not about you. It's about me. Right now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so, so a lot to unpack here. That's Cody's line. And then Terry's line, Terry, I'm going to give you a, an opportunity here. What am I going to say? Here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. Terry, you made up for it because you messed up last I time. I did. I won't mess Here's, it up again. I appreciate you. Here's the bad news. You're talking about, you mentioned getting uh, Johnny Gomes. You mentioned getting Mike Napoli, Koji Uehara, Shane Victorino. Uh, who else? Back in 2013, remind me, because we're talking 10 years now. David Ross. David Ross. Oh, that's right. Papa Ross. You know, a, a couple of, of names, one or two that were sexy, some were that were, uh, and then one that really got an opportunity because our guy went down, and that being Koji Uhar. No one thought that Koji was going to be the elite closer that he was. He ended up being the de facto closer by accident. It still happened. Charrington spent money, and we now have – Verbal confirmation that High and Bloom could have spent money uh, and elected not to. So it wasn't the, a directive that he was told, do not spend the money. He could have and chose not to do it. Um, there were two kind of crazy trades. You know, you talked about the Carl Crawford trade. We talk, We can talk about, you know, Pablo Sandoval and we can talk about um, you know, Hanley Ramirez coming and, and those deals and whatnot. High and Bloom automatically was dealt a really, really crap hand. Really crap hand. His first direction was to trade and find a suitable partner to send Mookie Betts on his way. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much baseball knowledge you have. 
you have just become public enemy number one by trading away a generational talent in Mookie Betts, who wanted no more interest in playing in Boston and to each his own. Now he's playing in Los Angeles, having a grand old time, one home run away from having probably the single best incredible career, you know, season in his career. He probably won't do that again. He's starting to slow down. That contract is going to age terribly, but not our problem. We decided to spend money in the dumbest of places. Do you know which guy won 10 games two years in a row for the Boston Red Sox, both in 2022 and 2023 without looking? Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta, yes, sir. Nick Pavetta, who was a starter, reliever, on IL, we don't know what to call it because we didn't have a rotation. Last year, we had a rotation. You had Nasty Nate. You had Michael Waka, both now pitching for different teams. Brian Bayo was there for a short period of time. Nick Pavetta was there for a period of time. You had a couple of names. This was the ugliest rotation, for the lack of a better term, we've had since Garrett Richards was in there. And I really didn't like Garrett Richards at all. I think my line for Garrett Richards was like the new Matt Hall. Garrett Richards was my dud for the year. Or was that Matt Hall, Terry? Correct me if I'm wrong. One of them was my dud for the year. I was really fired up that day. I think it was Matt Hall, but we Matt hated Hall. the Richards signing. Either in. one fits, let's it was be honest. Awful. It was awful. And then you got, you know, trading away Hunter Renfro. Granted, we end up hearing about the, the things after the fact about how he wasn't a really good clubhouse guy. There could have been some things with not liking folks that appeared a certain way. And, you know, I'm trying to be diplomatic in saying that, but probably not, you know, good baseball player, but maybe not the best teammate per se. And you bring back Jackie Bradley, who is Jason's favorite player. Just kidding. And a couple other players that came back. Uh, Who else? You traded away. Oh, no, no. You acquired Corey Kluber. We signed him to a $10 million deal. That worked out great. We finally got to see Paxton. That did that didn't go over so well. And then uh, Adalberto Mondesi, who's going to be one of my oopsies all year long, didn't play a game this year. So that's just like the nightmare of 2023. 2021, I think, was a statistical anomaly that gave the Bluminati and those that were supporting him this false perception that the Red Sox were headed in a winning direction when they didn't have a genuine team. Injuries are a part of the game. Yes. Bad performance is a part of the game. Yes. Players getting acquired are a part of the game. Yes. But when you get bad players, really crappy injuries, and poor performance, you get a really crap product. And that's what the Boston Red Sox have. And that's what they've had. And Statistical anomaly or not, the Red Sox genuinely were not a playoff team in 2021. They were not ready to take on the Houston Astros. I saw Martin Perez come in the ninth inning in game, I believe it was game four. The Red Sox were up two games to one, and they choked three in a row, and Martin Perez blew the door open. One of the worst pitchers to bring in the ninth inning. That was the, I'm raising the white flag, throwing in the towel, we're bringing in Perez. That's how bad it was. So 
I, I don't want to sit here and say, while I respect, I respect your view. I respect, I, I respect Terry's view and anybody that works on our pod. I'm struggling really hard to think of how next year would have gone if High and Bloom was back for another year. Terry's already said, I don't know if I could do it another year because the fans are tired of hearing us say the same thing over and over again. We're trotting out the same garbage and it's not working. People are unhappy. And here's the thing. Even during the course of the year, your players that were supposed to be leaders were so tired of Boston that they quit on their own team. Like everything that possibly could have gone wrong did. The fact that we won 78 games is probably a miracle. At the beginning of the year, I was saying how Adam Duvall won two games because of being clutch and then also because Baltimore couldn't field the ball. We stole a game in that series. We stole a game the following series as well. And that's just how our season started. We finally got the luck to go our way. And then it went right back to 2022 where everything went the wrong way. We were playing less than 200 baseball before the last game, the last series of the year. We were four and 16. That's crap. Cody. Yeah. I, I look at, I guess, Heimblum's tenure in Boston, right? And it is, it is an unfortunate I guess, black mark on on the legacy of Red Sox baseball, right? It is over and done. It's complete. We never got to see the vision. And for that, um, as I've mentioned on the pod previously, is very frustrating, right? Because then we've gone through these losing seasons. We've gone through these bad deals. We've gone through these questionable moves for what? Um, I think Boston has a tendency to badmouth uh, their their players or their employees on the way out of the door, which I think is unfortunate, but that's you know a time for you know, another discussion, right? That's a great off season. Um, Hey, you know, here's some content type podcast. Um, Another thing that I think fails to get mentioned, and it's something that I've talked about before too, is, you know, looking at these free agent deals, especially in the pitching market, it just hasn't worked out recently. If you look at the free agents uh, for, for pitchers since Heimblum took over, there's only a handful of players that have actually signed a free agent deal to where it was advantageous for both players, Right. Kevin Gosman is one of the few, but you look at players like Rendon, um, you know, Scherzer wasn't great. DeGrom has been a disaster, right? And a lot of these big money deals, especially in the starting rotation, just haven't panned out since they moved to their new team, right? Verlander might be kind of the exception because it looked like he was figuring it out a little bit in New York, but then, you know, they punted on him, sent him back to Houston. And so, you know, for for Heimblum, his his treasure jewel was look, we're going to draft and we're going to develop, and sure, that's a, a method to success. Absolutely, you need to build the team up through the farm system, but you also have to part ways with those prospects and and bring in some talent that way. If it has to be through trade, then do it through trade because clearly the free agent market wasn't the way that he was going to go, and and he didn't do that either. Um, you know, which I think was part of the reason that he was he was shown the door, and I think rightfully so, right. Um, you know, the, his, his inability to act, I think was his final un, uh, unraveling, right? Um, he might've had a process. It could have been, you know, a sustainable process year over year. Uh, but you know, the, the, the thing is in Boston, you expect championships and he wasn't delivering that. And it's, it's a zero sum game, right? You either win or you get out. Um, but this, this idea that there was all of this talent, that was right for the taking or right for him to spend the money on, I don't think is, is a fair narrative. 
um, if we're looking at it objectively, right? If you look at a lot of the deals that have been signed in the past couple of years, I think we would be a lot more upset if we were saddled with those deals for those players for the amount of years that they have. Well, I can't think of a contract that I advocated for um, during the, the bloom era that would have been, you know, super consequential. I mean, I, I always say let's operate in the middle of the market, you know, let's avoid the eight to 10 year deals, but you know, make some relatively midterm investments. And I mean, Kevin Gosman was always my guy and he would have been great. I think for here, same here, but that's, that's the one, right? Like you're saying, you know, I mean, you're going to get outbid if you're going to try to stay in the middle of the market, especially on those eight to 12 year deals. And I'm glad that we're not a part of those either. I, I don't want any part of those. Um, but I mean, there's just not like a lot that were out there that were, like you said, that made a lot of sense. I mean, I, I never thought Kluber was gonna, I, I think Bloom got the bottom of the barrel. He literally, he whiffed, but here, here are my win totals in, in all four years that, that Bloom was here. Uh, 2020, we made these in February pandemic hadn't happened yet. So we, we had a full season prediction i had 76 wins for the red Sox. charlie wasn't for some reason you weren't in that poll we had some other hosts in there that were in the 80s for wins so i don't think you know by 2020 we always had an expectation that we'll figure it out you know three of the last four years we won the division 2019 we won i think it was 84 85 games something like that missed the playoffs but but it wasn't like a brutal season anyway let me let me get back to it so 76 wins in 2020 i had 77 wins in 2021 my expectations were pretty low we did exceed expectations we won 92 93 games uh, based on that, I, I was a little bit more optimistic in 2022. I gave them 85 wins. I just figured I didn't love the Rich Hill signing. And uh, who else did we have? Uh, Michael Walker. I hated that signing. I ate a lot of crow on that that season. But but I had 85 wins. And then this season, what ended up being the final season, I, I gave them 74. So... Um, you know, my expectations were never high in the Bloom era. I would have had the Red Sox a playoff team in 2012, 2013, 2014. Um, or I should say making the playoffs, rather. I, I would have had them in the playoffs. Those would have been my preseason expectations. Now, we whiffed twice, but on paper, I was much more comfortable with the Ben Sherrington rosters than, than I was the Hein Bloom. 20 2015 i hated it i thought it was going to be bad and it was bad you know our pitching we replaced john lester and john lackey with justin masterson and rick porcello that year who had never been good at any point in his career uh, so that that was a dud of a off season and, and never mind you know pablo and hanley which Hanley aged okay. Pablo obviously didn't. I'm not going to lie to you. When we signed Hanley Ramirez, I was over the moon. I was like, this yeah. is so cool, dude. This player is sick. I love watching Hanley play. Um, but yeah, so I guess for me, that's way more painful, right? Is to have that optimism, to have that hope at the beginning of the season, like the roster, like the team, be like, you know, 
a ball bounce this way, something shake out that way, we're right in the mix versus just from the beginning being like, all right, this is going to be a slog, but we know we're not going anywhere. So it's it's the hope that kills you, as they say. And and to me, that was way more painful because you you know you're like, okay, this is the this is the hot stretch. We got to win these games if we do well here. You know, you you start building out the scenarios in your mind, and then it's like, boom, last place, and you're like, dang, they got me again. Yeah, I mean, but in the bloom era, I mean, this season, it, it was predictably bad, you know, at the beginning. It's one thing if it's bad, like you were just mentioning, Cody, like it, we expected it to be good, but it was bad. That's one thing. When you come into a season, you're like, this is going to be bad. Like, and I mean, Jaron Duran, I think, kept us somewhat relevant. That was it for me. I mean, name a pitcher on the staff who had a good run the whole year outside of Bayo. Nobody, <laughs> nobody. It was it was a very uncomfortable ride through the season, and uh, I Duvall gets hurt, and we thought that was a big blow based on the start that he had. He was off the charts those first three series, and then Duran stepped up, and I laughed. I'm like, this guy, this guy that hasn't been able to hack it, who's already 26, 27 years old. And then he went on this amazing unforeseen run and all the stolen bases. He hit almost 400 for two months. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> that single-handedly kept us. If, if you don't have that from Duran, you win 70 at the most, I feel like. And it, it would have been a brutal season. I wonder what the narrative would have been for High and Bloom, just like even now, thinking about it, since we're talking about 2021-2 a little bit earlier, what the narrative would have been if we didn't finish last place every other year? And what would the narrative have been if we had made the playoffs twice? Maybe not get far, but what would the response have been? Would he be here for a fifth year? Would we be still upset. I still think we would be. And I think we'd still be calling for his job. A month ago, I think all five of us thought that both Bloom and Cora were going to be back for 2024. I really think that all five of us were aligned on that. And we're going to be begging Terry to not leave. I, I think I did say that he might have done just enough to keep his job at that point. He might have. I did. Yeah. But I would say maybe the the last week of August, I really started. The, there were like these emotional swings that we went through all year. And I think the last week of August, uh, I was like, well, you know, things have cooled off. Maybe he could. And, and then it did. Uh, I, I want to say this, though. Ben Sherrington got another job. He won a World Series. He built our farm system. Um, you know, he made some, in, in a couple of years, he made some okay moves. Didn't, didn't hurt us. Like name a Ben Sherrington contract that hurt you. There isn't one. Well, at Pablo, I, I take it back. I'm sorry. Pablo Sandoval, five-year deal. All right. So that was the one, but there wasn't really a ton of damage outside of that. And I just think his, his signings were a little bit better and he got another job. He is in a front office right now. I don't think Heim Bloom will ever be the top executive on another team. He'll he'll do something. He'll be a farm director somewhere. But I 
there were so many reports that that he wasn't confident in his decision making, namely with Yoshida and Story. We've had reports just in the last what seventy two hours that he and Alex Cora didn't see eye to eye, and that people close to Hein Bloom didn't think Alex Cora was supportive enough to Bloom, and I wouldn't be either after this, <laughs> you know. And I think Alex Cora, if anything, took a lot of bullets for Heim, you know, in the last few years. But, um, but I don't think Heim Bloom will have another. He won't be the CBO in another team. I just, I think that's an extreme walk shot. And the Bloom and Adi over the last week kept saying, "Oh, he'll go to, he'll go fix the Padres." Blah blah blah. And I, apparently, the Padres are sticking with Preller anyway, um, based on uh, some reports in the last twenty four hours. But I don't. I, I I would be shocked if he gets another opportunity. Yeah, I, I I think you're right, Terry. You know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say I'm like a, an ardent or a staunch Bloom supporter. Um, you know, y- you never like to see somebody do poorly at their job, especially when it's something that you have a rooting interest for, right? Like we all love the Red Sox and we want to see them do well and. Uh, he was one of the main inhibitors to to our happiness. Um, and, you know, it, it could be like a Ben Wyatt situation, right, uh, from Parks and Recreation, gets to be the mayor at 18, blows it, and then does all the mundane tasks to eventually try to prove that he's responsible enough or, you know, uh, able to to be mayor again, right? You know, there might be an opportunity for Bloom down the road if he does, you know, farm, um uh, you know, scout, chief farm scout, et cetera, whatnot, and works his way back up. But he's definitely not going to go front office to front office, CBO to CBO, like like Charrington did. And, you know, I really do wonder, Charlie, you, you know, you made a great point. What does what does Bloom's legacy look like, right, if Eddie Rodriguez doesn't tap his wrist in, you know, in the ALCS, right? We were beating the doors off Houston at that point in time. And, you know, we got a little bit big for our britches and, and we were like, hey, this isn't hard enough. Let's turn up the difficulty. Right. Um, even if it was, you know, a statistical anomaly. Sure. Does it get remembered differently? Right. Because then these two eras look remarkably similar. Right. Uh, a lot of whiffs in the free agencies, a lot of inability to retain players. And then, oh, no, we need to make a splash signing. Let's go. Let's go make some. And some of those splash signings weren't exactly what we thought they were going to be. Um, but. You know, it's all it's all personal preference. It's all personal taste. And anything else you want to add to? Yeah, I do want to. I thought Ben Sherrington did a better job handling the trade deadlines too. I mean, in the one, um, you know, in the World Series year, he got PV and PV wasn't super great, but he he kept things stable in a way, you know, and. 2014 he trades John Lackey and Joe Kelly ended up being the prize um we did get Alan Craig and I I thought Alan Craig was gonna be great at the time I loved the trade you know I didn't think it was this dud of a trade deadline um I I thought I thought Lester for Cespedes was a little weird because you're only getting Cespedes for a year and then we parlayed that into Rick Porcello and I I hated that but um but it, it was it was kind of a popular move at the time. You know, a lot of other people thought Porcello was going to be better than he was, but the crazy thing, I think if you go back to, um, Porcello Cy Young year, I don't think he was an all-star like his first half wasn't great. And then he just 
got filthy. Jake Arrieta had a similar run through his Cy Young season. Not spectacular for a while. But I, but Sherrington just did did better. And then the salary dump with the Dodgers, with you know, getting rid of Beckett, getting rid of Crawford, um, getting rid of Gonzalez. I, I mean, I just, all in all, I just thought he was better, you know, in every facet. The only way that I can picture Bloom getting another, you know, CBO position is if there's a team out there that said, our only goal is to shed payroll. And trade off a lot of prospect or trade off a lot of players and stockpile prospects and pray that some of them hit, but make the condition you need to start playing some of these kids. And um I, I don't see it happening because of how poorly it, it turned out in Boston. I don't think any team says, Yeah, we'll bring this guy on and yeah, one time in the playoffs is good. We won't go far, but the other three, we're going to finish in the basement. That'll be cool. That'll be all right. That's not going to be okay with the fans, and that's going to be what people know. So he's completely, in my opinion, he shattered his legacy. I mean, the the one really big signing that we have to thank for him, forget about the big trade, was Trevor Story. No, you didn't get Kevin Galsman. No, you didn't get... Carlos Rodon, and maybe you can say, okay, one canceled out the other. You missed out on Rodon twice. Um, I, I, I don't want to say this yet, but I think I'm on the verge of saying that I think Trevor Stories, while he sells a couple years left, I think his contract is going to be the worst one since probably Panda and, and maybe Crawford. This is aging terribly. And he's striking out more than a third of his at-bats. He makes me incredibly nervous, uncomfortable. And if he doesn't bounce back, it's going to look it's going to look even worse for him. Cody. The one thing I will say that looks different with Story, because on paper, it's very similar, right? Big contracts, premier positions, name brand players that you're expecting a lot out of that are underperforming. Absolutely. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. Trevor Story is still grinding. He's still saying the right things. He's still trying. He's still playing good defense, right? We never got that from Crawford. We never got that from Pablo Sandoval. Both of those players showed up. They got their money. Uh, Crawford had a good first season um, where you're still stealing bases, still getting, you know, triples left, left and right. But they they definitely didn't put in the work and they definitely didn't handle the, the scrutiny of Boston well. Um, I agree. Trevor Story needs to have one regular offseason. He needs to get his things together. He needs to start hitting like he did in Colorado. Otherwise, it's going to get ugly quickly. But at the very least, I still think that he's he's handling the public perception well. And that's that's his saving grace at this point in time. Because he's saying all the right things. He's trying to do the rehab, trying to come back early, you know, playing his heart out all over the field, diving, stealing bases, the whole nine. Um, he's just not hitting, which is what we thought he was going to do in spades, right? We're like, we can put up with the other stuff because he's going to hit bombs, yada, yada. Um, but at the very least, he's he's doing the public aspect or the public eye version well. I was a, a huge fan of Trevor Story, basically his whole career. And I mean, I've said in, in several recent shows, I mean, even though I wanted him to be signed, even I'm getting to the point where it's not looking great. But um, I don't think it's not for a lack of trying. And, th- and that was a big part of it with Panda. 
So, so it's not that. I don't think I don't think Boston is in his head like it was for Carl Crawford. I just think he's just got some issues within himself that he's got to work out. And and if he can do that, it'll be salvageable. Maybe it'll end up being like a JD Drew type thing where the, the back few years just ended up being really good. I, that's really what you're hoping for at this point. That's the best case scenario. Or like a, a John Lackey, right? First couple of years were a bit bumpy and then he kind of figured it out and, and we had a, a good relationship with the guy. Yeah, I mean, Lackey, we we got him in 2010, and it wasn't good. And same could be said for 2011. Then Tommy John, it was. It took a long time for that contract to work out. And if we could have only been better in 2014, I could see Lackey pitching some meaningful postseason appearances, which he did do with the Cardinals uh, that fall. <laughs> um, and the, the other cool thing about Lackey too was um, this is the only time I've ever seen this happen, but. When Epstein negotiated the deal, if if Lackey were to ever have Tommy John surgery, one more year would be added to the contract at the major league minimum. And Lackey honored that. He pitched that season. So many players would have manipulated that like, oh, I'll, I'll just take the year off or blah, blah, blah. He, he honored it and he pitched that season. So Lackey wasn't a popular guy you know infamously served his wife divorce papers while she was uh you know in, in the midst of a cancer battle um and but you know he ended up being a hero in boston i mean he was great in that in that postseason i forget which round it was it was either the alcs against detroit or i think it was the alcs now the more i think about it he pitched out of the bullpen in relief he came out of the bullpen like he was doing everything John Farrell needed him to do, um, you know, that postseason. And then in the final game of the World Series, game six, he was your starting pitcher. So it, it all ended well for Lackey, I think. Yeah, he, he's another one that had a, a you know, as you, as you just mentioned, a very colorful past because of a decision that he made. And, and, you know, now with the way that the media has the ability of bringing out all the dirty, you know, toys and, and dirty just laundry out of your closet, it's it's pretty sad. But facts are facts. And what he did, people can give him credit. He honored the deal he signed. So in my eyes, he did what he was supposed to do. It's a business. You agree to terms. You should fulfill those terms. If you don't, you really shouldn't have the opportunity to play for another team. The other thing I miss about the Beckett-Lester-Lackey era, and I'm sure it goes back longer than them, but remember when Francona would go take the ball from them and they'd drop a million F-bombs, stomp their feet, and then storm off into the dugout? You don't see that anymore. Alex Cora goes out to get the ball. He practically gives the guy a hug, and you know it's all lovey-dovey in Boston. I miss... I miss that. the The cool thing about the 0407, well, maybe I guess I should just stick with 04. You didn't have any millennials on that crew. It was all you know Generation Xers, and I think it took that generation to to overcome those odds uh, of being down 0 and 3 in the ALCS, and then you know 
ultimately reversing the curse. I miss that. I miss that. And I, you know, when Tony La Russa came back, I was hoping it would work last year in Chicago, but you just can't, you just can't manage kids that way anymore. It's just, it's just not realistic. I would love Buck Showalter on the Red Sox next year. Let's see how many errors are made under Buck Showalter's watch, but maybe he would be too tough at this point himself. You saw Joe Girardi just fizzled. Um, Joe Madden as well in, in Anaheim just didn't work, <laughs> you know, so, but it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else you want to add, Cody? Right on T. Anything else you want to wrap up with? No, kind of got off All into right. a freestyle there, but it, it worked out. I, I just kind of wanted to listen to it too. I, I, I wanted to make myself heard on one point. I think we, we all got to, Get our points across. That is going to wrap it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our first time and loyal listeners. We appreciate all of you and recognize full well that without you, we wouldn't be here today. Have a great night. Take care.